Once there was a king by the name of Ahab. Hello. Who took a queen by the name of Jezebel. Hello, I'm evil. Ahab was a powerful king, but an easygoing sort of fellow. So when Jezebel came into the picture, she began to make some changes. Change the traits. Yes, dear. Build an altar. Yes, dear. Kill the prophets. Um, I don't want to. Fine, I'll do it myself. Needless to say, God didn't like this one bit. And before long, Ahab found himself in a world of trouble. Join us and discover where Ahab went wrong in Once Upon a Marriage. Good morning. Take out your Bibles, your mobile devices this morning and turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. It's right before 2 Kings, if that helps you out this morning at all. It's on page 151 if you're using one of the Bibles you may have picked up at the door. We're continuing our series this summer called Greatest Hits. We're going back and we're doing some of our favorite messages over the last eight years here at Orchard Church. And last week and this week we're talking about marriage. It's from a series we did a few years ago called Once Upon a Marriage. We're looking at some Old Testament couples and what we can learn from their marriages to help our marriages today. Last week we looked at the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel. We learned that God has to be our one and and then our spouse can be our two. If you missed that, go to our website, orchardchurch.tv. Go to the message page. You can watch that one uh, because both of these fit together really nicely about marriage. Today we're looking at an Old Testament couple named Ahab and Jezebel. And this is an interesting story for sure. Now I want to ask you guys to do this to help me out this morning to start out. I want everybody to raise your right hand. Everybody, everybody, raise your right hand. Everybody means everybody, okay? And say, I promise not to elbow Anybody sitting next to me today? Keep them up, keep them up. Because I cannot change my spouse. I can only change me. That is important today, especially if you're sitting next to your spouse. And I know what some of you men are thinking. Well, you didn't say I couldn't knee them or kick them. Okay, raise your right hand again. No. Because this is going to be very practical to, to men and ladies today, and we just need to focus on what God wants us to focus on individually in our marriages. But let me ask you this. I want you ladies to be completely honest this morning, and then I'm going to ask the men a very honest question as well. Ladies, wives especially, do you ever struggle or battle in your marriage of wanting things your way? Do you ever find yourself maybe being a little pushy, maybe a little controlling at any time in your marriage? Ladies, be honest. Raise your hand, ladies. Okay. Thank you for your honesty, ladies. Thank you. Now, men, let me ask you this. Do you ever battle in your marriage as a husband maybe being a little too easygoing? You know, a little too laid back, go with the flow, a little too passive as a husband? Would you raise your hand? Men, raise them up. Okay. Thank you, men, for your honesty. Now, wives, if you're sitting next to a passive man who wouldn't raise his hand, would you help him raise his hand right now? Well, that's the context of what we're going to be talking about today. Today, we're going to be dealing with one of the, the number one problems in marriage. We call it role reversal. Role reversal. And we're going to be looking at one of the worst marriages in the Bible so that we can be different than what they experienced. And their name is Ahab and Jezebel. After learning a little bit about Ahab and Jezebel, you're going to feel a lot better about your marriage. Because you're going to be like, well, we're not that bad, okay? We're going to learn some things. And let me give you a little context about this Old Testament couple and their role reversal that took place in their marriage. Um, Ahab was the king of, of Israel. He was the seventh king of Israel. He ruled for about 20 years um, from 875 to about 855 B.C., 
He was a very strong political and military leader over the, the nation of Israel. But like a lot of men, even though he was strong as the king, you know, as a political and military leader, at home he took a more passive role. It was a little too laid back. It was a little too relaxed in his leadership at home. Now, Jezebel was his wife. If you know anything about Jezebel in the Bible, she's one of the most wicked women in the Bible. If you've ever heard of Baal worship in in the Bible, she led her husband Ahab into Baal worship and also led the nation of Israel into this wicked Baal worship. Her name, Jezebel, means uh, where is Baal, and she's very wicked. If you're looking for Bible names in, in, in the Bible to name your kids, you want to avoid Jezebel, okay? It's kind of like Judas, you know? You don't want to choose, you know, the wicked, evil Jezebel to, to name your kids. I don't know anybody named Jezebel. It's a great name for a cat. If you're looking for a good cat name, <laughs> just throw that out there. It's a really good cat name, okay? So with that context in mind, 1 Kings 21, the emails will be coming my way. Verse 25, I want you to look at verse 25 of chapter 21 of 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25, and then we'll go back to verse 1 and we'll kind of work our way through, but verse 25 really sets the context for what's going on in this story, in this marriage, and it says in 1 Kings 21, 25, but there was no one like Ahab as king of Israel who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. He was the most wicked king that Israel ever had. However, he didn't do it alone. It says because Jezebel, his wife, did what? She stirred him up. He was the most wicked king that Israel ever had, but his wicked wife, Jezebel, was the one that that influenced him and stirred him up toward his wickedness. And that really sets the tone for what we're going to look at today. And Ahab and Jezebel represent one of the most common problems in many marriages today and throughout history. We call it role reversal. Reversing the roles that God intended us to have in marriage. Let me give them to you this way in your notes. Ahab in this story represents a passive husband. The passive husband. Jezebel represents the controlling wife. And and Ahab and Jezebel aren't the first couple in the Bible to struggle with this role reversal. You don't have to go any further than the third chapter of Genesis, the third chapter of your Bible, to see the role reversal take place. With a man named Adam and his wife, help me church, Eve. Remember in Genesis 3, God created Adam and then he created his wife Eve. And he, but before he created Eve, he, he went to Adam. God went to Adam and he said, Adam, you're to be the spiritual leader of your marriage and of your home. And, and, and God gave two instructions to Adam. I mean, you think about it. Adam and Eve only had two verses in their Bible. You think they could have got it right. One was a, something to do, one was something not to do. God said, Adam, here's your responsibility. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, all right, I like that. And he said, and don't jack with that tree right there. Okay, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Those were his two verses. And he gave those instructions to Adam. You go not very far, third chapter of Genesis, what do you find happening? Is Eve is deceived by the serpent And she's eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it says she first ate of the fruit. She took the fruit and she ate. And then what did she do? She gave it to her husband who was standing right there watching this whole thing go down, doing nothing about it. Gave it to him, led him, and he ate. And they plunged all of humanity into sin. Now, I think the first sin may not have been Eve eating of the tree. The first sin was Adam not being the leader, stopping her. 
And he didn't do anything about it. And you see a role reversal. Instead of Adam leading, Eve is leading, and it caused problems from the very beginning. And now we're going to see the same thing happen in this story with Ahab and Jezebel, this reversal of roles. We know that God intended for Adam to be the leader because remember after they sinned and they tried to hide from God, as if you can hide from God, and God shows up in the garden, and who's he looking for? He says, Adam, where are you? Because God holds the man ultimately responsible. But there's a role reversal that took place. Let's break this down in this story. Let's first uh, talk about the passive husband in this story. Ahab is a picture of the passive husband. Look at 1 Kings chapter 21. We'll begin in verse 1 in this story. And it says, It came to pass after these things that a man named Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of who? Ahab, the king of Samaria. So they were neighbors. So Ahab, the king, spoke to Naboth saying... Hey, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near next to my house and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. So what is, what is he saying? He's like, hey, you're next door. You got this vineyard. I want to have a vegetable garden in it. I'll, I'll just give you another vineyard or I'll, I'll buy it from you. And, and really, what we call this here, uh, what I'm going to call this is Ahab's chick thing, his feminine side. Every man kind of has a little bit of a feminine side, what we'll call their chick thing. You know, maybe it's they like to do their hair a certain way, uh, take care of their nails, maybe their clothes, maybe they like candles. For Ahab, his chick thing, he wanted a vegetable garden. <laughs> wanted it real bad. He was willing to buy for it. He was willing to trade for it. Now, now let me say this, men. It's okay to have one chick thing, one feminine thing, one. If you have more than one, I'm going to be praying for you, okay? We need to talk, okay? So, so Ahab's chick thing here is he wants this vegetable garden, and he asks Naboth for it. I'll trade you or I'll buy it. Well, let's see how Naboth responds. Verse 3. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. What's he saying? No. No can do. No way. This has been in my family for a long time. I've inherited this. You can't have it. I know you're king, but can't, not going to happen. Well, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants, right? Well, let's see how Ahab responds. Verse 4. So Ahab went into his house, sullen sulking, pouting, and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, because he said no, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed, and he turned away his face, and he would not eat food. Yeah, everybody say, oh, what's he doing here? He's pouting, he's sulking, he's being a big wussy. Now, I cleaned that up for church. He's being a big baby in this story. He's just, when Ahab didn't get his way as king, you know what he did? He did what a lot of men do. He took his ball and he went home and laid down on his bed. Didn't get his way. And this is how some men act when they don't get their way. Because men are used to getting their way. They're used to being successful. God's intended us to be leaders. But sometimes when men don't get their way, they don't want to play the game any longer. And they take their ball and they go home. And this happens in marriage all the time. If a man feels like he's not good enough, he doesn't measure up, you know, if if the wife's like, you're not like my father and, you know, you can't ever please me, you can't ever do anything right. 
and beats her husband down in that way, many times the husband's response will be, well, then I don't want to play the game. And he'll take his ball, just like Ahab, and he'll go home, and he'll sulk, and he'll pout, and he'll become passive. Very passive. That's the passive husband in this story, Ahab. Well, let's see how Jezebel responds to her passive, sulking, pouting husband. We call this the controlling wife. Look at verse 5. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? What is your problem? And he said to her, and you could just hear it. Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and I said to him, (laughs) Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. I mean, he's just crying, he's pouting, he's whining. And then Jezebel responds. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, What? You now exercise authority over Israel. Are you kidding me? You are the king. And then she starts giving him orders. And she has a tone. You know, some ladies have a tone. Jezebel had a tone. Here, and she says, arise, eat food, let your heart be cheerful. And what's the next word? I, I, Jezebel, will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. In other words, Ahab, you big baby, if you can't do it yourself, move out of the way. Let me show you how it's done. I'll take care of this. I'll take charge. I'll give you what you couldn't do yourself. And here's the truth. In marriage, men don't like to admit it because we know we're supposed to be the spiritual leader, but we are all sometimes insecure and vulnerable at times. And we can portray ourselves stronger than maybe what we really are and what's going on inside. And to mask insecurity, we do these things because we feel vulnerable. And and sometimes every man just needs a little pat on the back, a little attaboy. A little you can do it. I believe in you. A little bit of encouragement. And this is why God gave Eve to Adam in the garden in the first place. Remember God made everything and he says it's good, it's good, it's good. And he comes to Adam who's all alone. And he saw that Adam was alone and he said that this is not good. And all the men said amen. Right men? You're supposed to say amen right there men if you're married. It's not good that man should be alone. He needs a help me. He needs a helper he needs somebody to encourage him, help him along in his, his leadership. It's, it's, it's unfortunate and sad that a lot of women see this as insulting and de- denigrating. But God has placed the wife in the husband's life to help him be all God has called him to be. Men are not good on their own. We lose our car keys. We don't bathe like we should. We can't make our clothes match. We need help. Jezebel has an opportunity here to either help or hurt her husband Ahab. Because God has placed the wife in her husband's life to help him become all that God wants him to be, to be the godly leader. And he needs encouragement. He needs a pat on the back. He needs an attaboy. He needs somebody to believe in him. And here's the key, ladies. The way that you choose to respond and treat your husband will produce one of two results. See, a godly wife can help a weak man become a stronger man of God. I believe that with all my heart. But a controlling wife will always make a weak man, a weaker man, every time. 
And, and ladies, let me help you. I love you. I care about you guys all today. And some of this stuff is going to be difficult to hear, but it's so true and it's so helpful. If you're not careful, ladies, sometimes you will produce exactly what drives you crazy in the way that you treat your husband. And the same is true in the way husbands treat their wives. This is exactly what Jezebel did with Ahab. She made a weak man, a weaker man, by the way she responded. And she did this in two ways. You have them in your notes. The controlling wife here, Jezebel, first of all, she belittles her husband with her words. The controlling wife belittles her husband with her words. What does she do in verse 7? She's like, you now exercise authority over Israel. You're the king. Is this how you act as king? You big baby? You big wuss? What is your, what is your problem? In other words, you can't do anything right. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're a, you're a disappointment is what she's saying to him here. She's not encouraging him. She's like, what is your problem? Let me ask you, ladies, do your words to your husband build him up or do they tear him down? Do they make a weak man stronger or do they make a weak man weaker? Our words are so powerful, wouldn't you agree? Proverbs 18, 20, and this goes both ways, wives to husbands and husbands to wives. Proverbs 18, 21 says it this way, death and life are in the power of the tongue. The power to raise up, the power to tear down. And that works both ways in the marriage relationship and in all relationships. You know, there's a saying, you've heard this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you ever heard that? Say yes. Is that not the dumbest statement somebody ever came up with? What do you mean words don't hurt? There have been times I wish somebody would have thrown sticks and stones instead of the words. And the controlling wife will tear her husband down like Jezebel did over and over and over and over with her belittling words. But the godly wife will always seek to build her husband up with her words. And I know this to be absolutely true in my own marriage. Shelly and I have been married 21 years and I have to be honest to tell you guys, listen, I, I, want, I want to honor her today with this. I would not be where I am today in my life as a pastor of this church without my godly wife who's been by my side encouraging me, patting me on the back, believing in me for 21 years. When we stepped out in faith eight years ago to plant Orchard Church, I said, honey, I think God's leading us to Denver. We've never lived there. We don't have any family there, friends there. But I believe that's where God wants us to be, but I'm scared to death. And she was the first one to say, honey, listen, God's gonna be with us. I believe in you. I believe in your leadership. I think God has been preparing you, your whole ministry for this. And, and I mean this, I don't believe Orchard Church would be here today and I certainly wouldn't be your pastor today if it wasn't for my godly wife, Shelly, encouraging me all along the way. That's the honest truth. It, it, it makes a huge difference. Huge. And, and, and one of the most common complaints that I hear when we're doing marriage counseling. A lot of wives say, my husband won't lead spiritually. He, he won't lead. And I remember this one couple that I was counseling um, many years ago when I was pastoring another church. And they came in for counseling. She's like, I want him to lead, but he never leads. And she was frustrated with that. And so I said, you need to be the spiritual leader of the home. He said, well, I don't even know where to begin. And I said, well, just start with something simple like praying at meals. Who prays at meals? And he said, well, she does. And I said, well, this week, I want you to pray before every meal. Don't let her, you do it. And he said, okay. 
So they left. The next week they came down, they're sitting in my office, and I said, well, how did it go this week? Did you pray at meals? He goes, well, I prayed at one meal. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, after I got done praying, she said, you call that a prayer? Now, what do you think that did to him? Did that make a weak man stronger? Did that make a weak man weaker? It made a weak man weaker. She should have thanked him. She should have praised him. She, because see, what is rewarded is repeated. It didn't make him better. And a controlling wife belittles her husband with their words. Listen, ladies, let me help you out with this. Uh, this is a little secret, okay? Sorry, man, I'm giving this away. We're kind of like a puppy dog. You know, a puppy dog, if you get down and you pet the puppy dog and you rub its ears and you talk nice to it and sweet to it, they'll wag their tail. <laughs> they'll follow you everywhere. They'll do anything. If you believe in it. But if you yell at the dog and you throw the paper at the dog, he's going to take his ball and go somewhere else and whimper off. A godly wife will make a weak man stronger. But a controlling wife will make a weak man weaker. And I understand, and I know what some of you, you ladies are thinking right now, okay? Don't get too upset with me, because the reality is, for some of you, you're like, my husband doesn't do anything he should. He doesn't res- take responsibility for anything in our home, in any area. And, and, and I want to acknowledge, that may be 100% true. And we're going to deal with that in just a few minutes. But ladies, can I help you with this? No man has ever crawled out from under the constant complaining of his wife a better man. It just doesn't work that way. And even if everything that you're saying is true, your role and your words are so important in his life that you're building him up, not belittling and tearing him down like Jezebel did. Jezebel made Ahab a weaker man. So a controlling wife belittles her husband with her words. Here's what else she did. A controlling wife takes over. She takes over. After she's like, you exercise, you're the king, what's your problem? Then she takes over. Arise, eat food, verse 7. Let your heart be cheerful. I'll give you the vineyard. She's like, I'll do what you couldn't do. She jumps in the driver's seat. She's like, get over, move over, baby. I'm in control. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to do what you couldn't do. I'm driving now. And let me illustrate it with this picture. Right, you got this lady driving and guys in the other seat. Think about this when you ride in a car. There's two seats in the front. There's the responsible seat and there's the relaxed seat. The responsible seat is what? The driver's seat. The driver has to pay attention, stay awake, be alert, 10 and 2, watch the road, responsible for other people who's in the car. They have to be responsible. The relaxed seat is the passenger seat. I like that seat. Man, you get to move the seat back, you know, turn up the radio, text, read the paper. Passive. It's the relaxed seat. Now, now this is an illustration, all right? After the first service, I saw a bunch of husbands. They were like, give me the keys. I'm driving to lunch today. I don't want to see pastor see you driving. This is an illustration. And here's the illustration. This will help you. A wife who always jumps in the driver's seat of the marriage and family will condition her husband to ride in the relaxed and passive seat. And you will create exactly what is driving you crazy if you're not careful. And again, I want to be sensitive to this because I understand what some of your realities are. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, there are some deadbeat husbands out there that take no responsibility for anything. And we'll talk about that. 
and somebody's got to put food on the table and somebody's got to pay the bills and somebody's got to care for the kids or nothing would get done. But if the wife constantly steps in to the driver's seat in the marriage and the family and constantly steps into the God-given role that the husband is supposed to have, eventually he'll just let you do it. He'll let you do it and he'll kick back and he'll surrender his God-given call in his life to be the spiritual leader of the marriage and the home. And you might create exactly what you're trying to avoid. And it begins with little things in the, in the marriage, in the family. You know, you have little kids and you're like, you know, wife says to her husband, honey, can you, can you dress the kids today? You know, I'm really busy with something else. And so he makes an attempt to dress the kids and they come downstairs and, and, you know, it's like 20 degrees outside and they're in shorts and a tank top and nothing matches. And now how do you respond to that? You say, oh, thank you, honey. I appreciate you helping me out. And then when he's not looking, you change him. Or do you say, what? Are you kidding me? Are you an idiot? What were you thinking? Do you know, know what's going I mean, is that going to encourage him to do that again? Or a modern miracle takes place and he decides to do the dishes one night? But he doesn't quite do it right. He puts them away in all the wrong places. And do you say, oh, thank you, honey. That really helped me out tonight. And then you make the adjustments later. Or, or are you like, are, are, you, are you crazy? Do you, don't you know anything? This isn't where they go. You see how it works? With your words, you can make him weaker. You can make him stronger. Now, maybe you're asking a question. So what do I do as a wife if my husband doesn't take responsibility for anything? And I realize that's the reality for some of you ladies, unfortunately. Let me give you two things. Number one, you ask God to help you love him, faults and all, and seek to build him up, seek to encourage him, seek to believe in him and pat him on the back because what is rewarded is repeated. And here's the second thing and probably more important than the first, pray, 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 and then get out of the way. That's the hard part. Let God do in his heart and life what only God can do because you'll never change him, but God can. Let God work in his heart. Here's a great passage on this for some of you ladies. I hope this will be freeing to you. First Peter chapter one, verse three. This is, this is hard to put into practice, but it can be life-changing when you do it, and I've seen it happen in many marriages. Peter says this in First Peter 1, 3, to wives, in the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. He's supposed to be the leader. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, in other words, they're not being the spiritual leader they should be. They're not following God. They're not following the gospel. Here's what you do, ladies. Here's the remedy. Your godly, what's the next word? Lives, examples, will speak to them, to your husbands, without any words. It's not your words that are going to change him. It's your godly life and example. And they will be won over. Your husbands will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. In verse 4 he says, You should clothe yourselves, wives, instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which is so precious to God. And then you let God work on your husband. Now that all the women are ticked at me and will never come back to Orchard Church, let's deal with the men. And I believe this with all my heart, men. Maybe Jezebel felt the need to take control and step in because Ahab never would. Is that possible? Say yes. Because he was always passive in his home and he would never take responsibility 
as a spiritual leader. And men, we need to understand that we've been given a God-given responsibility to lead our homes and marriages. And if more men would take that responsibility seriously, then more women and wives wouldn't have to feel the need to step in and take charge and take control. I believe that. And Scripture is very clear. We see it in the garden and all the way through that God has called the man to be the spiritual leader of his marriage and his home. And not just any kind of leader, but a loving leader. And that's what I want to talk about now at the remainder of our time. What is the husband's role in the marriage and in the family? It's to be the loving leader. I believe this is the remedy to avoid the role reversal of the passive husband and the controlling wife. The remedy is that there is a loving leader in the home as the husband. One of the definitive passages on this is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and it says this, For wives... This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for a husband is the head, the leader of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. You see, we don't have any problem accepting that the ultimate leader of Orchard Church is not Doug Dameron, it's Jesus Christ. He's the leader, and we're to submit to him, and he says just like the church submits to Christ, that wives are to submit to the leadership of their husbands. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ as our leader, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And now your wives are thinking right now, I thought you were going to get on the men. This sounds like it's for me. Well, here it comes. What kind of leader husbands are we to be to our wives? Verse 25, for husbands, this means, say it men, love. Thank you, three men, thank you. Say it men, Love, this means you love your wife. You're a loving leader. This is not a dictatorship. This is not a boss. This is a loving leader. This means, men, you love your wives just as Christ loved his church, the church. And what did he do? He gave up his life for her. He was willing to die for her. He was willing to sacrifice for her. You see, we don't have any problem following Jesus because we know how much he loves us and he sacrificed for us. And I believe when there is a husband who sacrificially loves his wife and his family, the wife is going to want to follow him like we follow Jesus. And again, this is not a thing of power. This is a thing of position. This is God's design so we don't reverse the roles like Adam and Eve did and Ahab and Jezebel did. And men, this is not something that you really, that we should have to teach men to do because God has wired us this way, and designed us this way to, to lovingly lead our homes. You don't have to teach, teach a fish to swim. You don't have to teach a tiger to hunt. You, you just do it. Men, it's time some of you man up, you stand up, and you grow up, and you quit making excuses. And just be the man of God that he's called you to be. Don't be passive like Ahab. So I need some help. Let me give you three practical ways you can lovingly lead, man. Three practical ways that God calls you to lovingly lead. Number one, you're to lovingly lead as the provider for your home. As the provider. Paul said to young Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, his wife and his kids, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. Now, men, as we talk about you providing financially, and resources for your, for your home. This doesn't mean that your wife can't financially contribute. It doesn't mean she's got to be home all the time, barefoot and pregnant. It doesn't mean that. 
But it does mean that the husband should set the financial tone and direction for the family, that you're in the driver's seat. And men, if you need help with this, we're here to help you with this. I understand some of you men, you're like, I don't even know how, how to do a budget. I don't even know how to have a plan. I don't even know where to start. Every semester here at Orchard Church, when we have small groups, we always have one to two small groups that, that offer Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. Men, if you've never been through this, it's time. You need to sign up this fall. Uh, we're leading one in my home. I think there's another couple of people that may be leading one. It helps you be on a plan. It helps you be on a budget. It gives you the steps because it's your responsibility responsibility to lead your family financially and to provide for your family financially you to say we're gonna get out of debt we're gonna stay out of debt we're gonna have a plan your wife's been telling you this but it's time that you step up and you lead in this area of your life to provide financial stability and security for your family and I know this to be true and ladies I think you'll agree with me men if you will provide financial stability and security for your family your wife will love you for it because that's one of the number one needs of a wife that there's security it doesn't mean that you're that you're wealthy or that you're rich but it means that you live within your means that God has given you and I know we said going into greatest hits, we said there'll be no, we promised no messages on tithing. But we didn't say we wouldn't mention tithing. <laughs> and from the bottom of my heart, can I say, men, you need to be the one leading your family to tithe. You men need to be the one leading your family to give God what belongs to him. What he owns, the first fruits, the first 10% of your income. And every time we do a message once a year on tithing, I have multiple wives come to me, Facebook me, email me and say, man, God has convicted my heart. I know we need to be tithing as a family, but my husband won't let me. How sad is that? Come on, men. Man up. Be the loving leader of your home and provide for your family. And one of the ways you provide is by putting God first so that your family is under the blessings of God. I'll move on. As a loving leader, you're to provide for your family, men. Number two, as a loving leader, you're to protect. You're the protector of your family. Ephesians 5.28 says, so husbands ought to love their own wives. There it is again, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself because no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. He takes care of it just as the Lord does the church. What does he do? He protects it. You're to protect your wife. You're to protect your family. And some of your men are like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I got my gun and I'm ready for somebody to break in so I can say, make my day. I'm, I'm ready. Now that's part of it. I'm cool with that. You know, I got my weapons too. But we're not just talking about physical protection. A lot of, I know a lot of husbands, man, they got all the weapons in the world to physically protect, but do you protect your wife's heart? Do you protect her emotions? Are you, do you protect her in the way that she knows you're going to be faithful to her like Jesus, that you will never leave her or forsake her and the kids? That you protect your wife in all those ways, that you protect her spiritually. And that you protect your children, men. Men, let me say this, and I've got to be careful because I can get pretty wound up about this. Men, Husbands, fathers, you need to be involved in your kids' lives. You need to know who your kids' friends are. 
You need to know who they're dating if they are dating. You need to know that. Don't pass that off to mom and just hope for the best. That is your responsibility. If you're going to have kids, you better protect those kids. And there, at times, you, to protect your family, you say, as a godly, loving leader, you say, we're not going to do this. I know everybody else may be doing it, but we're not going to do it because it violates the word of God. A loving leader is the provider, he's the protector, and then let me give you a third one, men. As a godly, loving leader, you're to be the pastor of your home. Husbands are to be the spiritual leaders of the home. Like Christ leads the church, you lead your home as the pastor. Now, some of you men just checked out on me right there. You're like, I can be the provider, I can be the protector, but I can't be this pastor thing. What are you, what are you talking about being the pastor? I'm not talking about being some great theologian. I'm not saying you have to gather your family together at the table every night and do exegetical verse-by-verse Bible study. Very few men can do that and probably don't need to do that. We're just talking about men that you're responsible to set the spiritual tone and direction for your family. That you're in the driver's seat leading your family spiritually. And some of you honestly men, you're like, well, how do I do that? You know, I know, I hear you say that all the time, that men are supposed to be the spiritual leader of their home, but I don't even know where to, to start. It's really not hard. It's really simple. Let me just give you some simple things. One of them I commend you men, you're doing it. You came to church today. You got your family in church. I hope that you led in that. I hope you're not here because your wife badgered you enough on Saturday night to say, we got to get up and go to church. You need to make the decision on Saturday night. You need to make the decision that it's not even a question. We go to church. We want to be in God's house with God's people, worshiping God, studying God's word, and that you lead your family to go to church. It, it should be your idea. It should be your direction. And not just go to church, but serve in church and be involved in church. And if you have kids, have them in the children's ministry where they can grow on their level and, and know God's word. If you have teenagers, you have them in our fuel student ministry on Tuesday night for middle school or Wednesday night for high school. And then when we launch our small groups, that you as a man say, you know what, honey? I think we need to be in a small group because we need to have other good Christian couples who are friends because we need to know we're not in this Christian life alone, that we have help and we have encouragement and people praying for us. Men, that you sign up to be disciples so you can grow in God's word and you can disciple your family and other men, that you pray. These are all just simple things that you can do. And I want you to know this, men. I'm not upset with you. I'm not mad at you. I want to help you. I love you. And you can do it. I believe that. You can do it. I've seen it happen. You can do it. Make a decision. I am going to be the godly, loving leader as provider, protector, and pastor of my home that God has called me to be. Don't be an Ahab. Don't be passive. I know what some of you men are thinking right now. Well, I want to, but my wife won't let me. That is no excuse. You do it anyway. You know why? Because one day you're going to stand before the God of the universe and you're going to give an account. And you're not going to be able to say, well, God, I wanted to be the spiritual leader of my home, but my wife wouldn't let me. That sounds like Ahab. That's not going to fly, right, with God. Be consistent. Do what God's called you to do. And I believe your wife will respond appropriately. And I'm trying to help you. And, and some of you men, 
If you're honest, today you need to just admit, I have been in the passenger seat of my marriage and my family too long. And you need to say to your wife and your family, I'm sorry. I will change. Honey, you relax. I'm going to lead. I'm going to drive. Now wives, if you want that kind of godly leader, guess what you have to do? You got to get out of the driver's seat. You've got to allow him to lead. You've got to encourage him to lead. You've got to build him up. You've got to believe in him. You've got to say, honey, we believe in you. We're going to follow you. It, you. And I know what some of you ladies are thinking. He is going to make some mistakes. Yes, he will. And you know what will happen? He'll learn from those mistakes. But that's the only way we can reverse these roles. As we close out this story, for time's sake, we don't have time to look at all of this, but in verses 8 through 14, Jezebel, who takes charge and takes control, devises an evil plan to have Naboth murdered so she can give his vineyard to her husband Ahab. She throws this party as these two thugs come over, accuses Naboth you know, of cursing God and the king, which is penalty of being stoned to death. And so she has him murdered, but notice who God holds accountable for this murder. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, I took care of it. Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Thanks, honey. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the prophet, the Tishabite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. And you shall speak to him, to Ahab, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you, Ahab, have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Ugh. Now, think about this. Technically, who had Naboth murdered? Jezebel. Jezebel. But who does God hold accountable? Ahab. The husband. You have it in your notes. God will always hold the husband accountable. He did in the garden, and he does in this story, and he will in your life and my life and our marriage. Men, this reminds us just how important our role is in our marriage and our families that we are the loving leader God has called us to be. Ladies, this reminds you how important your role is that God's called you to, to empower your husband, to encourage your husband, to believe in him and allow him to lead and when you do this, you can help make a weak man a stronger man. And we can all have stronger marriages because of it. Because of it. Would you bow your heads with me? With heads bowed, nice close for just a moment. Wives, if you're here today and you're honest, you'd say, sometimes I'm too controlling. I know it. God has spoken to me today. I'm too harsh. I'm too critical. I tear down more than I build up. I try to be in the driver's seat more than I should. With heads bowed and eyes closed, ladies, if, if, if you would be honest enough and say, God has spoken to me about my role as a wife today. Can I pray for you, ladies? Would you slip up your hand all across the auditorium? God bless you, ladies. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Men, 
Some of you, God has spoke to you today because you're too passive. It's time for you to step up as the godly, loving leader to be provider, protector, and pastor of your home. How many of men would be honest enough to say, Pastor Doug, would you pray for me because God has spoken to me. I need to be a better leader, a spiritual leader in my home. Would you raise your hand, men? Thank you, men. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Maybe you're here today as a single lady. And you say, you know, I, I, I believe God may lead me to be married one day. Single ladies, can I pray for you that God would lead you to a man that you can respect and follow? Single ladies. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you, single ladies. Single men. How many men that are single would say, I'd like to be married someday. And I, want, I want to pray that God would prepare me to be the loving, godly leader that I'm supposed to be. And I would be preparing now. Any single men I could pray for? Thank you. A couple of you. Thank you. Let me pray for all of you marriages and men and women Lord I pray that you would help us to get these roles right that we would not reverse them that men would be the godly loving leader as provider, protector and pastor of their home that wives would be the encourager and the help me that they're, they're to be that, that, that when they do say things to their husbands to help them it's not what they say but it's how they say them that God that you'd help them to understand their role that they would allow and encourage their husbands to lead and that men would take that role Pray for the singles that are here today that they would understand now and be preparing for the role that you've called them to and that we would have marriages that look the way you've designed that would be pleasing to you and honoring to you and that we would also reap the benefits of marriage the way you designed it, God, that would be pleasing to you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today, and I know this wasn't what we talked about, but if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you know, these two subjects today being too passive or controlling are the same barriers that keep people from following Christ. Some people are too passive and they, they don't ever make a decision for Jesus. And to not make a decision is to make a decision. Some people fall into the controlling, I want to have control of my life instead of letting Jesus be in control. And if you've never allowed Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, maybe that's where you need to start today. To put your faith and trust in Jesus. And I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now from your heart to God's. I'll help you with the words. But listen, these are not magic words. It's not a magic prayer. But if you put faith and belief behind it, you can invite Jesus into your life today to take control of your life and to guide and direct you. And if you're ready to do that, would you pray this prayer with me where you said it goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you, you died for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? I prayed that prayer today for the first time. I invited Jesus into my life. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. We pray that their life would never be the same and they would grow in their relationship with you and that we would have marriages that are pleasing to you and that we'd be doers of your word and not just hearers only. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate marriage today and what God has done? Amen. If you made a decision for Christ today, please let us know about that on your connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket. Um, also, if you're a first-time guest, thanks for being our guest today. We hope you've enjoyed our service. Um, if you filled out that connection card as a guest, drop that in the offering bucket as we receive our gifts. So we can thank you for being our guest today. Let's stand and close in a song of worship and worship through our giving. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.